Hello and welcome back to a very 90s episode of Fan Theory. I'm Alex Bice. <laughs> wow, I don't remember the 90s looking like those. Oh yeah, I had hair in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> You've never seen me with hair. Yeah, why haven't <laughs> uh, Folks, thank you so much for joining uh, Felicia Wellington, Riddell, and myself on Fan Theory. We are so, so thrilled to be bringing you this latest episode. We are talking about Captain Marvel! In the 90s. In the 90s, because the movie is set in the 90s. They don't let you forget it. Whatever. We'll talk about that We'll get to later. it. Um, but not only are we, because uh, sometimes Felicia and I are fortunate enough to see these awesome movies that everybody wants to see. Sometimes we're fortunate enough to see them a little early. Um, sometimes we're doubly fortunate to see them a little early and then talk with some of the incredible people who have helped tell these stories. And Felicia, this is one of those episodes. This is one of those episodes. So who is joining us on Fan Theory and why is it an amazing landmark episode of Fan Theory because of it? We are talking to Kelly Sudakon, a comic yes. book writer. Yes. Um, I have been fangirling for days. I mean, weeks even from when we found out that we were fortunate enough to get one of the very few interviews with her. I am a huge fan of her work. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if you don't know who Kelly Sudaconic is, she is one of the writers who she basically made the Captain Marvel you know today. The Captain Marvel, the Carol Danvers that the movie is going to be based around. It's from her comic book run. Her work, I think, is amazing. I it's actually the Captain Marvel I'm most familiar with. Her run, um, she actually did a couple of things. She also did some Avengers work. So this this is based on her run from about 2014 on. Like right. it was like a couple of years, and then there were a couple of special issues. But that that comic book run that look at carol danvers that's what the movie is based on and again i that was the one i was most familiar with i love her writing she's she, she's an outstanding writer yeah and she, she worked really with is. a couple of illustrators um but i just and, and the work is impeccable but it's really her writing that's always drawn me in and if you aren't familiar with the captain marvel work i mean she also did dc comics aquaman she did a bunch of stuff for image comics including i know one of your personal one of my favorites, favorites uh, oh and we got to talk with her about it for a hot second we got to talk about bitch planet which is one of my favorite comics of the last ever um it's so it's such a good book um and so the fact that we were able to fold in a little bit of bitch planet conversation into our talk about her work with carol danvers i was over the moon um so we're just gonna head into our conversation with the incredible kelly sudaconic and then felicia and i'll check back in uh to give you our thoughts on captain marvel now fair note Felicia and I saw Captain Marvel at a critic screening and then talked with Kelly Sudaconic less than an hour after seeing the movie. So everything <laughs> is still very, you know, uh, the, the, the takes you're hearing are the hottest. The reactions are the freshest. Um, now, this is about a week or so later, we've had some time to, to simmer and uh, really think about the film. Uh, but get ready for a very, very hot conversation between myself, Felicia, and the incredible Kelly Sudaconic. In, we got to see Captain Marvel, but also it took 21 movies to get a woman solo film, right? I mean, yes. so what do you think about that? Yeah, it, it's because anyone who belongs to any part of a mul- marginalized group um, has to carry 
the entire weight of that group for representation. Mm-hmm. So um, when women have led superhero films in the past and they have not done well, it's been like, well, a woman can't carry a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the whole idea was dismissed out of hand, which is utterly and completely stupid. <laughs> but um, no, no man has ever failed at anything and carried that weight for men, right? right. We're not like... What was it, Green Lantern bombed? Right? Yeah, so we're not yeah, like, well, exactly. no more white dudes carrying superhero movies. Right. You no, know? no one said that. <laughs> Electra bombed. And, and so it was like, well, you know, see, women can't carry superhero movies. It has been conventional wisdom in Hollywood for many years that women-led films wouldn't do as well as male-led films. Um, and a lot of that has to do with... The idea of targeted marketing and that because women are lower status in our culture and men are higher status, when you market something at men, both men and women will use it or buy it or go see it. But when you market it to women, men will not buy it, use it or go see it because no one wants to identify down, right? I mean, it's not, it's nothing magical. It's, that is, has been the way that it has been since, well, I mean, the when targeted marketing really came into full power was in the 1980s. Um, but so the, the last 30, 40 years, we have been, been separating uh, things into girls' aisles and boys' aisles more so than we did even previous to that, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a thing people don't understand that, you know, toys did not used to be gendered the way that they are. Your version of Carol Danvers, you know, I did read your comic book run, and I really like that it isn't about, see, it's a girl and she's strong or something. It's more like, this is this character. She is a woman, but that doesn't, it doesn't mean she's soft or anything. She can be any version of herself. And I think I'd read, you can confirm or didn't, you know, tell me if it's not true. I'd read that there was a line that they tried to say, any kid, and you were like, well, the boys can cross identify. I'm going to leave girl in. And I, I loved that, that, you know, hearing yeah. about that. No, it was, um, that was in the comic, not in the, in the film, but, um, yeah, it was, I wrote a line about, um, uh, uh, have you ever seen a little girl run so fast she falls down? Um, and it's like something about there's a moment before she hits the ground, but before all of her doubts and fears she has about herself catch up to her um, uh, uh, when she flies. There's a mm-hmm. moment where every little girl flies. Yeah. And then and that's poorly remembered, but that's the gist of it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and the note I got was uh can we make it every little kid so we don't alienate the male reader and it was like no we can't because women have been cross-identifying for years and it hasn't hurt us um and the male reader can imagine what it must be like to be the little girl and it and he'll be fine um his masculinity will remain intact i promise (laughs) and the funny thing about that story though is i was geared up for a big fight and i was like you call me and i and and uh, Sana got on the phone with me, um, and the note hadn't come from her, but she was my editor, um, and, uh, and I was like, yeah, you, can you call me so we can talk about this? And she calls, and I was like, yeah, I don't want to change it. She was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, 
Well, all right. <laughs> cool. Thanks. So I don't think it's any spoiler, but you were on set. You do make a cameo in the movie. We won't tell people when. You know, we'll let them see you. But Blink and you missed <laughs> you. But what was it like being on set? Oh, it's lovely. I, I sound uh, almost sycophantic when I talk about my experience working on this, but y- you have to understand that I, I was sort of, you know, fists up, uh, really geared for it to, to be um, not a pleasant experience. I was very worried, not about the set visit. I was sure everyone was going to be nice to me, but I was afraid that when I was giving notes that... I would be dismissed or sort of, you know, be the killjoy or what, you know, and or, or be told, you know, things I've heard in comics, which are, you know, like, yeah, we understand, but that doesn't sell, you know? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, uh, that is not the experience I had at all. Um, I had quite the opposite experience. Um, I felt very heard. Um, I felt more heard in, in, in this gig than I have in <laughs> many, many others. Yeah. I really felt as though everyone was completely committed to making... It, it, it felt to me like everybody wanted to make the movie I wanted to see. Yeah. You know, that what really they wanted to do was make the, the movie that was true to the character. Mm-hmm. But they were so devoted to it and so absolutely willing to listen and so... Um, talented in how they executed on these ideas, you know? Uh, Geneva, who wrote the screenplay, is brilliant. Ryan uh, and Anna, the directors, were incredibly kind to me. I spent a tremendous amount of time talking with me, asking questions, and letting me ramble as your so aware that I can do, um, you know, going through comics with me and, and drilling down on questions. And, um, I mean, it was, and Jonathan and Kevin were, you know, these, these are incredibly powerful Hollywood people and, and they were shirt sleeves rolled up in the dirt with us figuring out how to make this work. Um, and it was, I, I, I cannot speak too highly of it. It was, a, it was a really, really tremendous experience. And now that it's done, now that it's about to, you know, premiere, do you feel like it's true to the character? Do you feel like Brie Larson got it right? I do, yeah. I mean, it's, I feel like Brie made Carol hers. I mean, it is not, it isn't to say that, like, you know, she, the, the Carol that lived in my head is the one that's on the screen because that's not how it, I mean, that couldn't happen. Do you know what I mean? And I I don't want that to come across as a slight. That's not what you want to happen. You want this actor to find her way in to make this a real, warm human um, uh, who who occupies her own space. And she has done that. Um, And she is very much, she is very much Carol, yes. Um, And to the point where there's moments that when David Lopez and I were working on the book, um, we had a phone call, uh, uh, like a Skype call one day, and mm-hmm. I was trying to describe how, you know, Carol isn't perfect. She's, in fact, that's one of the, the beautiful things about her is she's like a little off, you know? Um, so, like, her sense of humor is a little off, and she has trouble controlling her powers because she's so powerful. And so, you know, every once in a while, just, she has big feelings and big thoughts and big and every once in a while, the, the big will kind of get a hold of her, and, and it's a little too much for her. And so, you know, sometimes she stumbles, and, like, when she lands, she never does the cool hair flip. It's yeah. like <laughs> she lands, and then, like, the hair falls in her eyes. She has to blow it out of her eyes because she can't move it with her hand because she'd burn it, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, 
And then, uh, uh, and there's a moment in the trailer when the hair flops in her eyes and she blows it out of the way. And David emailed me and he was like, oh my God, oh my God, it's our girl, it's our girl. You know? um, and that was, uh, that was amazing because yeah. I don't remember ever having that conversation with the Marvel Studios people. So that, I don't know if that was a, if that was a, um, if that was a Brie moment or something that Anna and Ryan came up with, or where that came from. But that moment is so very Carol. Um, it's just perfect. I love it. Now, Kelly, um, you grew up in an Air Force family, correct? Correct. And I, that's that, to me, is can be so felt in the character of Carol, because her, her work with the Air Force, her work as a pilot, is so integral to, to her and the relationships in her life. And I just wanted to see what you thought of the job that this film does kind of capturing that, that community, that fellowship, that identity that, you know, Air Force life gives, you know, Carol Danvers. When I pitched the book, I pitched Carol Danvers as Chuck Yeager. And my angle was that in sort of previous incarnations of the character, sometimes there were choices made for her. I understand why they were made in, in the context of the larger Marvel Universe and events that were going on, but it made it really hard to root for Carol. It made it really hard for her to have a solo book, you know, and as as a character who had the name of the company in her in her code name in her superhero name, right? It was it was important that we be able to forefront her. And so my argument was that we don't have a lot of women in the military uh, go to archetypes in our in our like cultural shorthand, right? So mm-hmm. and this is a problem um, in in how we portray women in larger culture across the board, you know, we have an understanding that men are as different as their numbers, but, you know, women have like six slots we're allowed to fill, right? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. trying to come to a place where we understand (laughs) that women are as different as our numbers as well. And so, um, so, but when you say military woman, there's, it's really hard to call up what that means. And so what tends to happen is people would, uh, portray her as um, as a hard ass, as like you know a by the books, fun wrecker, killjoy nag. Um, and in fact, there's a there's a there was a TV show called a Superhero Squad that my kids used to watch. That was um, it was superheroes, and but like it was for little little kids. Mm-hmm. And Carol was was literally like the mom Carol character that would come in and tell all the other characters to clean their rooms, you know, mm-hmm. like that kind of thing. Um, and look, I am a mother, <laughs> no disrespect to moms, but, um, but nobody wants to read the book about the killjoy. Um, the, the other, it, it's, it's sort of like, um, like the, like the only concept anybody had of a military woman is, um, uh, uh, Margaret Houlihan from like the first season of MASH, right? Mm. Like, that's a drag. Um, and so my argument was I grew up on Air Force bases and pilots have a certain twinkle in their eye. They are all 
arrogance <laughs> and um, and charming. I don't know what it is about people drawn to this particular profession, but um, but there is uh, uh, you know they all they're they're ambitious and driven and they've got a certain swagger and um, I mean we have a Camaro to this day because a pilot friend of my dad's picked me up from school one day in his Camaro. And I was like, this is the coolest thing that has ever happened to me. And they're like imprinted on a Camaro as like the coolest car you could possibly have. Mm -hmm. So when we had the money to get a second car, I was like, we need a Camaro, we need a Camaro, we need a Camaro. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's like, it, it was like that. So I was trying to explain that, you know, yes, Carol is military. Um, Yes, she is. A, she is a pilot, she, but like you have to. Happy Boeington was military. Uh, Chuck Yeager was military. It doesn't mean if you're a military person, it doesn't mean that you're all about screaming about you know forms and regulations and hospital corners, right? Like there's a lot of different ways to be someone in the service, um, and in particular, a pilot. So yeah. So Carol Danvers is Chuck Yeager. I wanted. I wanted. <laughs> You just see her, like, walking away from the, the burning plane, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. 100%. So just service fan question here, me being the fan. Uh, Chewy, is Goose supposed to be mm -hmm. here? Will we get a Chewy, do you think? <laughs> so my understanding is that, it, you know, it was just a, a, they didn't want confusion in marketing because to have – Chewy's in two different properties in the same company. Chewy the cat is named after Chewy from Star Wars because Carol's a Star Wars fan. Right? Yes. Um, and that wasn't me. That was, uh, I, should, I should also say, that was Brian Reed um, introduced Chewy. Um, I introduced the idea that Chewy uh, was a flirt. That's <laughs> my contribution. Um, and uh, anyway, so uh, yes, in the in the film, Chewie's name is Goose, um, which I'm pretty sure is a nod to uh, Top Gun, which is pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, we have we have had discussions that are really pointless discussions about well, you know, the movie takes place in the '90s, so you know, maybe Goose. Is Chewie's mother, or you know, like I don't know, who cares? Really, it's, it's Chewie. So then, um, I did have a question, you know, just from the comic books. You could feel some of those Star Wars influences, and I wasn't sure if it was because Carol Danvers is a Star Wars fan, if those were things that you put in because you were a Star Wars fan. So is that not the origin? Brian Reed, uh, who wrote Carol before I did, it was just me being a good sport, really. Was um, uh, I am? I mean, I am not not a Star Wars fan, but I am. Brian Reed is a Star Wars fan, <laughs> <laughs> and so he kind of established that uh, that Carol was a Star Wars fan, and so um, and so yeah, I honored that and I kept it up. And um, when we did the relaunch in 2014, and Carol was going out into to space as a writer I was trying to get I was trying to answer for myself I had spent all of this time building up Carol's supporting cast and um, and now we were about to leave them and um, 
and I was worried. I have this tendency to write internal monologues for my characters, mm-hmm. um, and it comes to a point where I think it becomes a little bit of a crutch. My husband tells me that he, he finds it weird that I want to stop doing a thing I'm good at, but <laughs> um, but I think that what what ends up happening is I can overuse it. And so I got concerned about Carol being by herself out of space for all of that time. Um, and so it's like, well, I need to give her somebody to talk to. And then was like, ah, oh, she should take the cat. And it's great because we had established that the cat was nasty and n- nobody liked um, Chewie. He was sort of ill-tempered. Yeah. And it was like, would be really funny if she has to take the cat because no, everyone refuses to take care of it. Everybody's like, she's like, you know, will you watch my cat when I'm gone? And they're like, no. Um, <laughs> so, so the cat had to go with her. And then we gave the ship an AI and I named the ship Harrison, um, after Harrison Ford. Mm. So yeah, so she had, she had Chewie and Harrison to talk to. And then we added tick after that too. So Kelly, the first work of yours that I read was, was not your Captain Marvel books. It was another one of your incredible works. It was uh, bitch planet. And now, now having seen, um, your vision of Carol Danvers on the big screen, it's making me crave a bitch planet movie more than I already was. Um, <laughs> from from where you sit, is that something that could be a possibility in the not too distant future? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of interest in the property, um, and I kind of can't say too much more about it than that. Although I will tell you that I always tell people this, and they always think I'm kidding, and I'm super not. But uh, my dream, if I had my first choice of another media medium <laughs> to um uh to put bitch planet in um i would want to do it as a stage musical with Jeanette, uh, janelle monet oh wow I'm oh like, yes please yes, yes please. please where, where, where do i sign up who do we contribute i know to? i want that that's what mm. i think too so much <laughs> if you if you start a kickstarter for that i will be the first person to contribute <laughs> yeah, I know, to it second. i call second okay. um yeah, I think we're up against time. I really, really, well, we really, really appreciate this. Thanks for taking the time out to talk to us. I wish we could talk forever. <laughs> Thank you, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I'm so very, very proud to have played a small part in it. And I'm so pleased with everyone who was involved and um, and the parts, because everybody really went at it from such a genuine place, trying to make something that really um, meant something. You know, and we're we're so we can be so dismissive of this genre, and it's it, it it's actually very very powerful, and it reflects our culture and informs it. So yeah. it's a pretty big thing to have Carol there now. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Maybe this is the year we can no longer deny that and its place and importance in pop culture. That'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> We're back. That was our conversation with Kelly Sudaconic. Thank you once again to Kelly for taking some time to talk with us about Carol Danvers, a character that means so much to her and to millions of folks around the world. It was an absolute pleasure. So now can we talk spoilers? You want to just have our, our uh, like our general overview, like one or two sentence reactions to the movie, and then we'll head into spoilers just in case people want to get the... Uh, the spoiler-free version first? Sure. The movie is great, and it's set in the 90s. Your turn. 
The movie is great, and it's set in the 90s. Uh, 1995. 1995. Um, more specifically, and we'll dive into this a lot more in about 30 seconds, if you love 90s action movies and 90s sci-fi movies, yeah, you're going to have a blast. Uh, no sci-fi action pun intended. It's a lot of fun, and if you think you should see it, yeah, see it. Yeah, and you know what? Our preview article should be up by the time you're yes. hearing this. Mm-hmm. So go see That's our preview point. article. It'll tell you everything you need to know, including what you need to see, if you should stick around for any post-movie uh, you know, post credit scenes or whatever. Check out our article, app.com. We've probably not stopped tweeting it since we wrote it. So. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, with that... Felicia, you want to uh, you want to call the spoiler warning? Spoilers, 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 spoilers ahead. That's a new song. I'm in a new mixtape coming soon. It's on SoundCloud. <laughs> it is though. It is. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Captain Marvel. Um, I went into this movie. Actually, you go first. What did what what were you hoping for, and what did you get? So I've had a problem with Marvel movies for a while, no matter how much I love them or how great I think they are. And that's we always know what's coming next. But it's interesting as we got closer and closer to Captain Marvel because they started to get more and more tight-lipped on how they were going to end Phase 3. And we didn't even know the title of the Avengers, you know, aforenamed (laughs) Avengers 4 until like a month ago, Mm -hmm. two months ago. It's Endgame, by the way. Avengers Endgame. Wow. Yeah, that's what it's called. Um, so I thought the first, tra- like the teaser trailer and the original like full trailer looked just phenomenal, especially the full trailer. I was like, this is going to be fun. I was so into it. But I wasn't exactly sure if it was going to be one of those connective tissue movies. You know what I mean? The big ones where it's like, and this is also a part of the big machine leading to the end and the, the big bad. Yeah. And I wasn't sure I wanted that. I think I wanted something that was a little bit more standalone. After all, they're rewriting history here, right? Look, yeah. we've had a lady lead all along who's amazing and powerful. And I think it's my love of the actual Carol Danvers character, this this version that they chose to to display here, that, uh, that really pulled me in finally to be like, this could be so excellent. And I think I would like it anyway, even if it's not. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, I was just so satisfied with this movie. I think that's the best way to describe yeah. it. And I think that's why I give that backstory because I wasn't sure what to expect movie-wise if this was just going to be kind of a, a standalone Ant-Man outlier or if it was going to be connective tissue. But I knew that it looked great. It looked like they'd really poured a lot into it. Samuel L. Jackson was so funny in the trailer and in the movie. Yeah. Um, and I liked the character that they were choosing to use in the MCU. So it was like, let's see where this goes. And I was just so satisfied, just like Kelly Sue DeConnick said, where Brie Larson made it her own. But boy, this this was one of the best versions for us to be able to see in the flesh, right? Yes. I mean, Captain Marvel was okay in, in comic book history, but Kelly Sue DeConnick made her the amazing, powerful Avenger that she is. And getting her to see her stand on her own and be that person and be so layered unlike a lot of those those uh not captain america characters <laughs> right um it's just it made me so happy and the action scenes are great the laughs are funny there's so much balance in this movie and they just allow brie larson to be in scenes without anyone else 
But when they do pair her up with like Samuel Jackson, it's kind of like a buddy cop movie in a way. <laughs> buddy cops in space yes. set in the 90s. Um, he doesn't do the delivering for her. And boy, do I appreciate that. And I think that comes down to not just the writers, but the directors for this movie. So anyway, your turn. He, yeah, no, uh, real quick on the point of Sam, and then I'll kind of circle back to my overall thoughts. But I think Sam serves kind of the, the, the sidekick comic relief function in this film, very, very similar to how Chris Pine's version of Steve Trevor did in the Wonder Woman movie. Um, and I really appreciated that character dynamic. And Sam is clearly having a blast. And the chemistry between Brie Larson and Samuel Jackson is outstanding. So I like this better because there's no romance. Yes. Because you don't always have I to was, have it. I was just going to say that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. I entirely they, – they took the one thing that didn't work about Wonder Woman and uh, Steve Trevor and they got rid of it. <laughs> and the movie is infinitely better And they added the cat. <laughs> Oh, we, we're going to talk about Goose. Well, we talked about Goose a little bit with, with Kelly, Kelly, but we'll get back to Goose. But overall, I I love the MCU. The MCU has been with us for more than a decade now, and it's changed global culture. That's undeniable. But there are certain films, these standalone films that seem to only exist to put new pieces on the board that are then better used later that don't necessarily always work for me. Of course, I'm talking about uh, Doctor Strange. <laughs> hated it. <laughs> didn't hate it, just didn't I care for it. Yeah, you, yes, you did. <laughs> um, Doctor Strange or uh, the first two Thor movies or... I forgot about those. To a certain extent, the first Ant-Man movie or the or the one Hulk standalone movie that's in continuity with the MCU. Um, a lot of these, the, the single building block movies just haven't worked as well um, because there's just there's a sense of obligation about them. And I, I guess that's why we forgive the the Ant Man movie because it did what it was supposed to do well without the connective tissue. It is more of a, and I think that's really even if people say that Ant Man and the Wasp isn't as good as the original Ant Man, um, I would say that it's great because it, it went even further into ah eh, we're just something else out here. Yeah, I kind of preferred Ant Man and the Wasp for exactly that reason. It was more its own thing. Yeah. But I think the standalone movies for me that have worked, um, Spider Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, Black Panther um, they have such they find their own energy. Right. They, they find their own frequency as opposed to just trying to be. Doctor Strange is Iron Man, but with magic instead of science. And look, and look at the other stuff that's coming right after. And, and Thor is Iron Man, but with long hair. And the first, <laughs> a, and the first Ant Man is Iron Man, but a heist movie, and the guy is poor. Like as opposed to just trying to do Iron Man. And Iron Man's a great movie. No shade at Iron Man. Um, the the stand We're a long way from Iron Man. Yes, the the standalone films that find their own frequency. To, to work, to operate on. And that it's like you find a, a really cool new spice that you're going to take, like you're at a restaurant and you try a new spice for the first time and then you remember to buy it and bring it home and incorporate it into your own pantry. That's what it's like. Um, and one of the reasons why Captain Marvel so, so succeeds for me is it's its own movie. It, it's, it's a great, big, fun sci-fi action movie um, that takes itself more seriously than the Guardians of the Galaxy or Thor Ragnarok, but is just as cosmic and weird. And <laughs> I love, I'm loving stuff set in the space corner of the MCU. And it's not a comedy the same way Guardians or Ragnarok is. It's It's got your big weird sci-fi-ness, your Star Wars-ness, as you talked about with Kelly. 
but it's also its own thing. I was just, it was so refreshing and it's a great, great vehicle to introduce Carol and immediately throw her up against Thanos in Endgame. And I can't wait for it. Yeah, I'm definitely excited. Um, some of the nicks for me, yes. we, we explored it a tiny bit with Kelly C. DeConnick. Um, I don't know how much I want to dig into it because it's a tiny thing for me. It's not something I have. I mean, it's not a tiny thing for me. But what I mean is it's something I, I don't have answers on. And it hasn't taken away from some angles of it for me. And that's the revisionist history of it all. I'm so happy to have her, but don't pretend like you had these lead characters all along. It, it only just points out even more so to me that they've done nothing with, like, Black Widow. So I, I think that is something. But, again, I have no answers, and it looks like they're writing the ship. I mean, they could have just been like, see, a lady movie, and that's not what happened here. They gave us a phenomenal film yeah. and with some great powerhouses. I mean, Brie Larson is a fantastic actress. They really went in. They spent, you know, there's a lot of money here. There's a lot of power here. It's angled to be, you know, kind of like this complex pinnacle before the end of phase three. I, I couldn't be happier. And, and I have no answers. They say that a Black Widow movie is coming. Um, does it mean I still don't want to hold Marvel to task? Of course not. But I don't, I don't really have anything yeah. else for it. I don't, I don't know what I expect or want out of that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Go back in your time machine and change it. It's, <laughs> it is an incredibly valid point. It's something we talked about with Kelly. Um, and it's something that there is no easy answer for. The fact that it took 21 movies and more than a decade to uh, get a female-fronted Marvel movie where the female hero, female identifying hero, is the only character in the title. It took way too long to get here. There's no, there's no way of sugarcoating that. There's no way around it. We're here now, and again, I agree with you. I think by making it a period piece, it does give one the impression, right or wrong, that they are trying to recorrect the record, record retroactively. Mm-hmm. And I don't love that. But I'll allow it. I'll allow it. see what they do. Because the movie we got is really good. Yes. That's the th- It's, again, it's the, the movie we got is really good. And we're getting representation now, which is also good. Mm-hmm. Just wish it had come sooner. And, I mean, are we, I mean, additional spoiler warning. They set up some interesting things with uh, Carol Danvers' home life, her friends, you know, mm-hmm. some children she knows. Yes. <laughs> do the math. <laughs> Read some comics and do the math. And you might let's come let... to a conclusion that I have arrived at. <laughs> yes. And I don't think we're going to... Okay, so while we're in this territory and we're talking nitpicks, there's... And we're talking the longevity of the MCU. The MCU has been running for more than a decade, more than 20 movies. And there is a... A pl- I don't want to get too explicit in here, but there is a plot pivot at some point in this film that I think works or doesn't depending on how little you remember previous movies from the MCU. Um, mm-hmm. And you know where I'm getting yes, at. Yes, I'm, I'm there. <laughs> and I'm trying to – but if you've seen the cast list on the poster and if you've seen the trailers, you know what faction – uh, the character known as Veers is initially aligned with, and you know uh, some characters who are initially presented as allies. There are two twists in this movie. One, you're going to see 100 miles away coming. Uh, there's another one that you may not see coming, 
And I don't know how well it works is what he's trying to say. <laughs> Correct. And I don't really want to get too much into that. We don't want to give them away because they are, both of these twists are kind of what the entire movie rides on. And even though we're in spoiler territory, I feel like we can talk about it in a way that if you kind of were like, I'm going to keep listening. I don't care about your spoilers. We haven't ruined a movie that you might eventually watch. No. But if you have, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, that's, and I think I'm okay with keeping it at that. Like, I don't want to give away the game. But I could see the game being played. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're a if you're a film completionist and film obsessive the way Felicia and I are, you'll see certain characters or hear hear certain words and be like, oh, okay, I know what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. I get it. And the fact that it's still treated like a twist, I think I it, it rubbed, like, rubbed mm, me a little bit the wrong nice way. Nice try. <laughs> yeah. And I don't really want to get any more into that. So let's talk about the soundtrack. Right. <laughs> All right. So he and I are... It's in, so good. <laughs> no, he and I are in like fundamental disagreement here. Yes. I say that while it is great, it is so good. It has about... Two or three 90 songs too many. It's like, all right, I get it. It's 1995. I understand. Um, and Alex says it was just right, but he's wrong, but it's fine. I <laughs> I had a lot of fun with it. I really – it's basically – it's presented in a very Guardians of the Galaxy style. Ex- oh, it's beyond that. <laughs> three songs too many passed it. Yeah, well <laughs> – you could say that, but I like all the songs, and so I, I just didn't too. mind hearing them. I do, too. I just, I'm telling you, they, they could have cut a couple out. But I, I will, we will just leave it at that, that the film never lets you forget that it is the mid-1990s. It is so 1995. But I will say, there are some soundtrack choices that are just, they were so perfect, they were, like, chilling. There's a Nirvana song moment yeah. where at first you might be like, really? But it's such a perfect choice. Think about the lyrics while you're watching it. It's perfect. Yeah, it's, it's so good. It's almost too on the nose. It's so good. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about uh, let's talk about Goose. Goose the cat. Um, if, you, uh, if you've read the Captain Marvel comics. Well, then you know. Then you know that uh, uh, Carol Danvers' cat is a... Uh, He's a very special being, as all cats are, let's be fair. Um, <laughs> you know Carol Danvers' cat is a very special entity. And, yeah, have fun with that. Yeah. But you probably also already heard us talk with Kelly C. McConnick because at first I was like, is this a different cat from Chewy? It is not. It's, it's They just changed the name it's because Chewy. of Star Wars. So I need to, I need to raise my coffee cup to uh, the digital de-aging technology uh, that Marvel has been tinkering with now for, for many, many films because it looks so good here. On Samuel L. Jackson, they broke it. Yeah, <laughs> with poor Agent Coulson, twelve-year-old. Yeah, Clark, Clark, Greg, uh, <laughs> who was twelve. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but but Sam, like after like two scenes of Samuel Jackson, like you forget about the effects. Like it just it feels like an entirely organic, lived-in, real performance. Like mm-hmm. it's you don't see the gimmick very 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 quickly. The gimmick falls away, and I was so impressed by that. Mm-hmm. I really like this movie. I do, too. I want to see it again. I do, too. I feel like we saw it so long ago, and yet the rest of the world still hasn't seen it. That was not a humble brag. What happens is... No, it's not a humble brag. We see it. We're doing the work of seeing it, interviews and writing and stuff. This is our job. And then we wait for everyone else to see it, so we can, like, we're like, "Mm, have you seen it yet? So we can talk to them about it, and that's where we are now. So it's like fever pitch, like just waiting 
for everyone to see it so we can talk because that's why we have a podcast so we could talk about stuff we love yes stuff that we are fans, fans of. of I feel so bad for our, uh, our spouses though because like we get to see these movies that the whole world wants to see I'm like I really want to talk with someone about it but it's like you can tell me but I won't understand you and also we can't tell them yeah <laughs> we can't tell anyone what happened but now we're telling all of you yeah. all of our dear fan theory listeners here is the same time as our spouses yes <laughs> um so yeah Captain Marvel really good Felicia and I really enjoyed it um it so accomplishes its mission of finally introducing Carol Danvers to the MCU with a huge bang and I cannot wait to uh, to see her in action in Infinity War. Yep. Same. Not Infinity War, Endgame. Excuse yeah, me. well, <laughs> and Endgame. All the years combine and melt into a dream. As All the those times they decided say. not to call her. Just kidding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, uh, the first... Uh, uh, the Ch- the Chitari invasion of the first Avengers movie. Apparently, Nick Fury didn't deem that a big enough emergency to call Carol nah. Danvers in. Nah. Let's not even think about that. Nah. Good fall down a continuity. There are hole. other people around here. What did he originally? No, never mind. That's a spoiler. Yes. <laughs> That's a huge spoiler. Yeah, don't don't do that. The Disney ninjas. <laughs> he looks at me like, oh, don't 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 reveal. Okay, no. I won't. All right. Um, so, uh, thank you all folks for, uh, for listening to us talk about Captain Marvel and hanging out with us beyond the double spoiler firewall to the end of the episode. Um, uh, Felicia and I have a bit of a, uh, a programming note, uh, that we are just comfortably nestling here and at the end of the episode. Yeah. So might've noticed you didn't get an episode last week or the week before. Um, so there have been some changes with fan theory. Uh, we're kind of ending it. I mean, we're going to have special episodes here and there. Uh, we'll finish out our Marvel subscription plan for now. Um, and we're not going anywhere. I mean, we still work here. We're still writing, even, even co-writing, seeing all of the same stuff, still having all the same conversations. and Still banging out. on Kevin Smith's door. Yeah. <laughs> still doing – we're doing all – literally all the same things. So please, don't abandon us. But we won't be recording um, – much in the future. So I don't know. We can call it a hiatus. We can say that we're going into reruns. I don't know. I feel like we're a TV show, but we're not. <laughs> but so anyway, that's that's kind of what's happening. And we just really, we wanted to thank everyone for listening. We've been doing this for, wow, is this our fourth year? This is our fourth year. Uh, I believe 216 episodes, I want to yeah, say. I, wow. I just, yeah. it's been such a phenomenal run. I mean, that alone and if you're a big podcast listener out there, you know that some of them just don't last as long. So we've been very lucky that we've been able to, I mean, it came out every Friday, sometimes twice a week. Yes. Uh, for all of that time, you know, we used to have another co-host, Al, and he, you know, he did leave the company. So this does belong to the company. Our podcast belongs, is the property of USA Today. Uh, so, uh, you know, we missed him dearly, but we, pl- we continued on and... We've gone on for a long time, and it's been great. Alex and I are friends at work, outside of work, and it's just been such a phenomenal opportunity. The people we've gotten to interview and and letting you guys hear their voices, you know? Yes. Like, I think we were able to uh, – that was our success, really, we, us having these, these um, casual – 
and fan-based conversations, unlike others. Like, there's so much pop culture out there, so many podcasts, so many shows, but they don't always get to have, like, this full space of having things in their own words and having, like, people who knew, like, maybe as much as we did about the source material. Mm -hmm. And I think that was always fun because we got these great interviews. They were able just to use their own words. Sometimes I think of... um, John Krasinski, when he's like, oh, my wife, and he's saying it so casually, and in my head, I was like, oh, my God, but your wife mm-hmm. is Emily Blunt. <laughs> or, you know, there was another episode where we, you know, as we ended the episode with our uh, what are you a fan of question, um, Cecil Baldwin, the voice of Welcome to the Night Vale, just talking with us about how much he loves the works of Miyazaki. Yeah. Like, just, where <laughs> else are you going to hear the voice of Night Vale gushing about Hayao Miyazaki? Yeah. Like, that's... So just having them just nerd out with us about the most, you know, things that everyone's a fan of something, right? Trevor, so just, no, Trevor Noah telling us to go see Get Out. Yeah, right? I mean, we that, were like, better go, better go see it if you haven't seen it because Trevor Noah told me. And so we just really had this opportunity and we're so happy to share it with all of you because we got to inter- we got some great opportunities, some great interviews to talk to writers, creators, actors, but people behind the scenes, big and small, and have them also relay those messages to you, how they got into what they're doing, advice, things that they love, books they're reading, music that they mm-hmm. they think everyone should check out. It just, you know, there was just so much there. And a lot of it's evergreen. I mean, Trevor Noah had some great life advice. So I don't know. But anyway, thank you. Heartfelt thank you. I'm doing the hand motion where I'm like, oh, thank you. My heart is open. It's true. It's true. I can see it. (laughs) So uh, we love all of you. We thank you. Again, it's not – I'm making it sound like this huge goodbye. But we're still here. We're still – I think I have an interview with, like, Star Trek people in, like, a couple – you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. we're still doing what we're doing. But – just not on the podcast. And But keep us in your podcast feeds because you never know. Yeah, we've got some things coming that maybe can only be told via audio or video. And so, of course, we'll be doing that. Plus, Alex and I are on stage all the time. Yes. Alex even more so than I am. So, so you know, stay, tuned. stay tuned. Follow us on, follow us on social media. Um, and please continue to just peruse the fan theory archives because we put out four years' worth of material that I know Felicia and I and Al Manorino, very, very proud of this body of work that, yeah. that we have created and very proud of all of the time I've got to spend on mic with one of my dearest friends, and that's yeah. Felicia. Yeah. Um, and we've had, you know, 200, more than 200 episodes. We've had some incredible guests. I, we don't have time to thank every single one of them, but... It's been a unique. It's been an incredible and unique privilege for us to. I mean, talking with like these huge show business legends has been amazing and awesome. Like getting like to talk with Danny DeVito about his Asbury Park childhood. I yeah. lo- loved that conversation. But for Felicia and I to be able to give our give our platform and give our microphones to these rising independent artists Samus, like Sam is rising. She's there, but. She's someone who a lot more people need to know. Or, yeah, Megaran. Yeah. Uh, Megaran, who has come back to us time and time again. Dylan Marin. Um, these incredible artists. Um, Rhea Butcher, an amazing comedian. Um, and I'm blanking, but you know. Because we can't thank them all. But there have been times where, as, I mean, I think I died the day I talked to Hans Zimmer and got to interview him and then go to his show, right? I'm pretty sure I'm a ghost now because that was like a childhood dream. But at the same time, there have been upcoming writers, directors, um, 
you know, photographer, just these other creators where you just see their rise. You see Riley Riley Sager. Yeah. We we've been able to follow him through his career. Yeah, and now he's gonna have like a TV show and all sorts of stuff. And it's just those are the moments where it's like no one is gonna have this conversation, and we're here, and we cannot wait to bring it to people just to let them see a little bit into the life of this this person who's who's rising. And so, you know. I, who else gets to do that? We got to do that. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. So, and again, this isn't this isn't goodbye forever, and we'll probably wind up editing together a a bigger, more proper, not tagged on at the end of an episode yeah. thing. But, uh, and I'll just say this before I sign off: the, the for me, the goal of fan theory has always been about celebrating this stuff that we love, and we're in it with all of you and we believe in this stuff and we're passionate about it and for me i believe that fan theory is about smart fandom that's never cynical so just keep doing that love the stuff you love yes and on that note (laughs) thank you again to kelly deconic um i honestly can't think of a better guest to ride out the the final weekly installment of fan theory with yeah here's a look to the future that's what we did with her and that's what we're doing right now together. Absolutely. Looking to the future. Absolutely. So for the Fan Theory Podcast and the Asbury Park Press and the USA Today Network, I've been Alex Bice. I'm Felicia Wellington Riddell. We'll see you sometime. <laughs>